Tonight, with God's grace, we're going to begin at Genesis 29:31, and continue studying the life of the holy patriarch Jacob, who is now newly married, not only to one, uh, but two wives. Let's speak about this beautiful story together. We begin here in Genesis 29, verses 31 through 35. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. So in this passage we see how God, in his divine wisdom, apportions his love between Rachel and Leah, and grants Leah four sons with Jacob, while Rachel's womb remains closed. Consider this beautiful passage from St. John Chrysostomus about this. He says, Seeing God's creative wisdom, whereas one woman by her beauty attracted her husband's favor, the other seemed to be rejected because she lacked it. But it was the latter God awoke to childbirth while leaving the other's womb inactive. He thus dealt with each in his characteristic love, so that one might have some comfort from what was born of her, and the other might not triumph over her sister on the score of charm and beauty. So we see how God apportioned his love between Rachel and Leah. How Rachel was the beloved wife, and that was clear from Jacob's dealings with her, but in order to win favor from her husband, God opened the womb of Leah, and she bore Jacob four sons, while Rachel's womb remained barren for a time. It's also beneficial for us to note the names and the meanings of each of Leah's sons. The firstborn son was Reuben, whose name means something like, See, a son. We can imagine that this was the expression that Leah had when she bore this child after seeing how Jacob did not love her. This is highlighted by what Leah says after Reuben is born, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction, now therefore my husband will love me. The second son born to Jacob and Leah is named Simeon, whose name literally means hearing. And this comes from Leah's words when Simeon was born, in which she said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. The third son born to Jacob and Leah is named Levi, and his name literally means attached. And again, this comes from what Leah said when this child was born. Now this time my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Levi, of course, will go on to become the forefather of the Jewish priesthood, which is called the Levitical priesthood after him. And finally, Jacob and Leah have Judah, whose name literally means celebrated. 
At the time Judah is born, Leah says, Now I will praise the Lord. And this reference to praising the Lord is also a prophecy concerning the coming of the king who will praise the Lord. On one level, of course, this is King David, who praised the Lord in his life and in his psalms, and who came from the line of Judah. But on a deeper level, this king is our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I want to share a nice meditation with you from St. Gregory of Nyssa, one of the great Cappadocian fathers of the 4th century. He looks at the lives of Leah's four sons, and he notes that the three younger children all bear a resemblance to the firstborn, Reuben. He says the following, Reuben was the firstborn of those born after him, and their resemblance to him bore witness to their relationship to him, so that their brotherhood was not unrecognized, being testified to by the similarity of appearance. And using this fact, St. Gregory teaches us that we should bear resemblance to the firstborn of our race, who is not Adam, but rather our Lord Jesus Christ. He teaches us that if we have been baptized through water and the Spirit, we have become brothers of Christ, who St. Paul calls the firstborn among many brethren. It follows, therefore, that our resemblance to him must be made very clear in every aspect of our lives. And what exactly can we say about Christ's character? As St. Peter reminds us, he committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. So therefore, if we are going to bear a resemblance to him, we must strive to live without sin, so that no uncleanness will come in between our relationship with him. St. Gregory teaches us that if we live in this way, our brotherhood with Christ will become obvious to everyone we meet. We now move on and we can discuss and turn back to Rachel and Leah. Uh, with this passage, uh, we're going to see something like a rivalry or a showdown between them. And this rivalry begins chapter 30 of Genesis uh, as the book of Genesis moves to describe yet another showdown, uh, that one between Jacob and Laban. So we have now the rivalry between uh, Rachel and Leah, and that leads to the rivalry between Jacob and Laban. And as we continue reading, keep in mind these two rivalries and how they end up. These rivalries, by the way, are actually nothing new in Genesis. Uh, thus far, we've seen quite a few of them. Remember, we started with the rivalry between Sarah and her maidservant Hagar over Abraham's children. And then we had the rivalry between Jacob and Esau over the blessing. And now we have contests between Rachel and Leah on the one hand and Jacob and Laban on the other. And these conflicts in the family will continue all the way until we discuss the last major figure in Genesis, who is Joseph. Joseph, who, as you know, was sold by his brothers into slavery. So let's see how this rivalry, this present one, between Rachel and Leah plays out. We can read from Genesis chapter 30, verses 1 through 8. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children... Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. 
And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So she said, Here is my maid Bilhah. Go in to her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah her maid as wife, and Jacob went in to her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan, and Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. So in this passage, Rachel envies Leah and confronts Jacob about her childlessness, saying, Give me children or else I die. And the fact that Rachel uses such a strong statement shows the family relationship between her and her aunt Rebecca, who uses similar hyperbole when she tells Isaac she will die if Jacob marries a woman similar to Esau's pagan wives. Throughout this family history of the three great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we continually see similarities between the success of generations in terms of traits such as their their faith, their hospitality, and here even their hyperbole in saying things like, give me children or else I will die. St. Ephraim the Syrian explains to us why Rachel confronted Jacob with such a strong statement. Uh, He says, Rachel believed that Jacob was not praying for her, that Jacob was not praying for her. And having heard the family history and specifically how Abraham prayed for Sarah to conceive a child and how Isaac did the same for Rebekah, she came to the conclusion that she was barren because her husband was not praying for her. And this shows the righteousness of this couple, because the problem between them is that the wife does not think her husband is praying enough for her. And we might ask ourselves tonight if these are the kinds of problems that we have in our families, or if we argue about things that are more worldly and unimportant. Rachel's concern further underscores the importance of intercessions in our lives. We have yet another example of how the practice of interceding to God on behalf of one another is deeply rooted in the Old Testament. All three great patriarchs had barren wives, and God ultimately opened all of their wombs through their husbands' prayers. And we also learn about the dynamics of intercession in Jacob's response to Rachel. He tells her, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? In other words, he's doing everything he can, but ultimately it is God who has not willed that she have children. So here Jacob essentially tells Rachel to address her concern with God. And you might think that Jacob's words conflict with the idea of intercessions because she is going to him and he's telling her to ask God, but this is not how we should understand the dynamic. What Jacob is saying to her is this, Yes, I am praying for you, but my prayers will not be answered unless you yourself pray as well. And the lesson is that we cannot simply ask others to pray for us while we do nothing. 
The prayers of another person for us will not help us if we do not try to help ourselves as well. Of course, in some cases when a person is distant from God, we pray for him or her and God hears our prayer without him or her really doing anything initially. But for the sake of the change to be permanent, the person likewise has to work with God. Our prayers alone cannot help someone who is unwilling to help himself. And this speaks to us about the dynamics of Christian intercession today. We, of course, ask the intercessions of the Holy Theotokos St. Mary and the intercessions of the Holy Forerunner John the Baptist and the prayers of all of the saints, but those requests will fall on deaf ears unless we also ask God himself. The saints do not exist so that we can outsource our prayers to them while we focus on other things. Instead, we pray to them as we pray to God, and they advance our cause before God. Now, turning back to Rachel, we see that she resorts to more extreme measures to have children. In fact, she resorts to the same exact tactic that Sarah used earlier to bear a son. She gives Jacob her maidservant Bilhah to conceive children with. And we discussed this concept, which is called legal surrogacy, earlier in the context of Abraham and Sarah. Under the laws of that ancient society, any child Bilhah had would be considered Rachel's child, since Rachel literally owned Bilhah. And we find this custom in some of the oldest legal codes of the world, such as the Code of Hammurabi in Mesopotamia. Uh, my, modern readers might feel, of course, a bit uncomfortable with this concept, but we cannot ignore this history because this is how people lived, and we cannot simply erase or cancel this history and pretend it was never so. This is how people live, and there are spiritual meanings behind these kinds of things that we must unlock with a spiritual eye. Now, we note that Rachel's plan effectively gives Jacob a third wife, and there is a spiritual significance behind the fact that Jacob is united to Bilhah as a wife because Bilhah is a foreigner who is not of Laban's family. According to St. Ephraim the Syrian, this happened so that the sons of this slave could become joint heirs with the sons of the free women, Rachel and Leah, throughout history. And so here we begin to see the spiritual significance of the fact that Bilhah was a slave who was fully owned by Rachel, but in, this, in the same light, she is also crowned because by having children with Jacob, her children, who are foreigners, who are slaves, will now become free, and they will become equal to the children of the free women, Rachel and Leah, throughout history. And in the context of Jacob as a type of Christ, this refers to how the Gentiles would be made joint heirs of the kingdom of God through Christ's work. So yes, there was a point in history when we were all slaves, and a point when we were all enslaved to sin. But now, through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, everyone is called to be a joint heir of the kingdom of God and free through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Rachel's plan 
that Jacob take Bilhah as a wife produces two more sons for Jacob, Dan and Naphtali. The name Dan literally means judge, and it comes from the words Rachel proclaimed when he was born, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. It is interesting to note that the Hebrew word for Dan, although it means to judge, has the connotation of judging to the point of condemnation. So this name then is a prophecy for what happens to the tribe of Dan later on in Genesis when it is condemned, or later on in the scriptures, when this tribe is condemned to relocate outside of the area given to the twelve tribes in the book of Joshua. The name Naphtali literally means my wrestling. And it should come as no surprise that this name comes from what Rachel said when he was born. She said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. Of course, we see in these words the great rivalry and contest between Rachel and Leah to bear children inasmuch as Rachel characterizes it as a prolonged wrestling match. Now not content on being outdone, Leah now takes matters into her own hands. Let's see what happens. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, A troop comes. So she called his name Gand. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Now this is from Genesis 30, verses 9 through 13. And in this passage, we see that when Leah, uh, when she recognizes that she is no longer bearing children, she gives her maid Zilpah to Jacob as a wife. So now at this point, Jacob has four wives, uh, two with free women and two with slaves, right? And Zilpah first bore a son named Gand, whose name actually could mean many things. Uh, there isn't one prevalent view as to the meaning of his name. Uh, one interpretation is that it means good fortune, uh, which Leah feels now that she is having more sons uh, and more of an advantage over Rachel, uh, even though it's coming through her maidservant and not her specifically. Uh, another interpretation is that the name comes from the Hebrew word for divine, and some Jewish scholars see his name as a prophecy for the manna, which God divided to every Israelite in the wilderness. The other son of Zilpah is Asher, and his name means happy. And again, this name comes from Leah's words at the time of Asher's birth, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So at this juncture, Jacob has four wives, two free and two slaves, and eight sons, four from Leah, two from Bilhah, who is Rachel's maid, and two from Zilpah, who is Leah's maid. And Leah was apparently happy, but still not content, because she continues in her quest to bear Jacob more children. Let's go ahead and see what happens next. 
Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived, and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages, because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me, because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward she bore a daughter and called her name Dina. This is all from Genesis 30, verses 14 through 21. So in this passage... We find Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, out in the field collecting mandrakes. For those who are not familiar with mandrakes, they are plants from the potato family that have flowers and large yellow berries on top and a very thick root on the body on the bottom. For centuries, humans have used the mandrake for medicinal and magical purposes because the roots of the mandrakes oftentimes resemble the shame of a human body. And moreover, it's been said that pulling the mandrake root out of the ground causes something like a shrieking noise. It's a noise that almost sounds like a human shrieking. And for this reason, mandrakes have been used in many rituals throughout the centuries. Now Reuben gathers these mandrakes and gives them to his mother Leah. Rachel sees the mandrakes and asks Leah for some of them. We ask the question, well, why does Rachel want the mandrakes? The Hebrew word for mandrake means something like love plant. And some scholars believe that it was used as an aphrodisiac or even a fertility drug. And it might be, if we accept this, this idea, this hypothesis, it might be obvious why Rachel wants these plants because she still has not borne a child to Jacob. When Rachel asks Leah for the mandrakes, we hear Leah's biting response. She says, Isn't it enough that you've taken my husband away? You also want my son's mandrakes? This gives you a glimpse into the relationship between these embittered sisters. Rachel, however, being wise and knowing how to talk to Leah, she promises that Jacob will sleep with her that night if she gives Rachel the mandrakes, and so they strike a deal. Ironically, although Rachel wanted the mandrakes for her own purposes, it is Leah that gets the benefit because she has two more sons and a daughter with Jacob. The first of these two sons, who is the fifth son overall from Leah, uh, he is named Issachar, which means he will bring a reward. And as we can see, this comes once again from what Leah says, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. The second of these two sons, who is the sixth overall from Leah, is named Zebulon. 
and this means dwelling or habitation. And again, this comes from what Leah says, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. It is clear here that Leah is continuously trying to attract Jacob away from Rachel, whom he loves and apparently lives with, by having more and more children. And I remind you again of our meditation from last week in how God is apportioning his love between the three of them. Leah receives great comfort in bearing these children, but ultimately her sadness over the fact that her husband does not love her remains. And similarly, Rachel receives great comfort in being with a husband who loves her greatly, but her sadness over her lack of children remains. And so we see God balancing between them in his divine wisdom. Now Rachel forgive me, Leah also bears a daughter whose name Dina means justice. And without a doubt, Dina's name is a prophecy as to what is going to happen later in her life because she is the first woman we find in the Holy Scriptures to be raped. Tragically, she is the first to be raped. And even though her rapist ultimately falls in love with her and wants to marry her legitimately, Dina's brothers take justice into their own hands and decimate not only the rapist, but his entire village as well. We'll speak more about this when we come to Genesis 34. Another interesting point about Dina's name is that it comes from the same Hebrew root as the name Dan. You can kind of hear the similarity, Dina and Dan. And Dan, as you remember, was Rachel's first son through her maid Bilhah. So if you step back and consider this, you will see that Leah continues boasting about the children God gives her until she has Dina, whose name is very similar to the name of the son that Rachel has through her maid. And it's almost as though Leah is doing this intentionally to irk Rachel. But at the same time, it's almost as if God is checking Leah's boastfulness and telling her that is enough. Because as we're going to see, soon God will open Rachel's womb and she will start bearing children uh, to, for, for Jacob. So now at this point... Uh, Jacob has four wives, ten sons, and one daughter. And we see it here in the table. He first has Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, Levi and Judah from Leah, and then Dan and Naphtali through Bilhah, Rachel's maid, and then Gad and Asher through Zilpah, Leah's maid, and then Issachar, Zebulon, and Dina from Leah. So this is now where we are in terms of Jacob's children. Let's continue reading and see what happens next. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. So in this passage, we read that God remembered Rachel. And this choice of language is interesting because, of course, God does not forget anything. 
Rather, this language shows us once again how the Holy Scriptures speak to us about God in a manner that we can comprehend as human beings. To be in the remembrance of God is to feel the warmth of His love and His care. To be in His mind is everything we seek as human beings. And this is reflected beautifully in the prayers of the Divine Liturgy, in which we ask God to remember the things that are important to us, such as the peace of the Church, our Pope, Metropolitan, and Bishops, the salvation of the world, etc. It's not that God forgets, but rather it is our way of communicating with Him and presenting ourselves as His people. And the result of God remembering Rachel here is that she finally bears Jacob a son on her own, whom she names Joseph. Now the name Joseph comes from two Hebrew words, Asaph and Yasaph. The first word means to take away, which reflects the first thing Rachel says when he is born, God has taken away my reproach. The second word means let him add, which is a reference to the second statement Rachel makes when Joseph is born. She prophesies, the Lord shall add to me another son. And indeed, God will hear her prayer and grant her a second son, Benjamin, later in Genesis 35. So now at this point, we see Jacob has four wives 11 sons and one daughter. Again, we see in the table, now we have the addition of Joseph, who was born of Rachel, and later in Genesis 35, he will have Benjamin added from Rachel as well. This is not at all bad for a man who traveled from his home in haste with no possessions. When you look at his family, it is clear that God has blessed him just as he promised earlier in Genesis 28. God willing, next week we will pick up the story and speak about the rivalry between Jacob and Laban. In the meantime, I pray that you all are safe, healthy, and well, and we hope that you will join us in our next meeting next Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. And glory be to God forever. Amen.